Yeah, so I, I don't know if any of you listened to the pod we did with Steve, but we kind of dived in the deep end straight off talking about um, how CrossFit was when you were a bit younger and kind of first competing. And it was all about competing, not worrying about social media interaction or influencing or sponsorship deals. And whilst we appreciate sponsorship is important to give you the time to do stuff, there does seem to be a disconnect now between people in booty shorts looking good on Instagram, but actually the competition is not the driver. It's all about getting the likes and the money through Instagram versus perhaps when you first started out in CrossFit, it was actually about competing regionals going for the games and that sort of thing and just kind of where you see it having been in it for the last 10 15 years uh, and whether we're going back into a cycle of actually competitions becoming a bit more important or or what really and how you feel crossfit works in two separate ways you've got the competition and you've got the fitness methodology because you all kind of run gyms coach and have also competed. I'll. Um, are we are we kicking this off? Are we going now? Or are we yeah. are we waiting? Sorry, I was just yeah. live and direct. Like right. Yeah, I guess I don't know if anyone else wants to start off because we had a good. Uh, we went into it in a decent detail with with myself on the last podcast. So. I don't know, Alec. You're someone who has um, who was like deeply, deeply involved in CrossFit and coaching and competing, um, and then took like quite a considerable step back. But he's still got his foot in the door. So you kind of probably have a good uh, perception of how things are changing without currently like being too involved to, for things to be cloudy. So how do you how do you feel like the last 10 years, i say, has gone? Um, I think it's funny, isn't it, reminiscing about all what we used we used to do, or whatever, it was it maybe slightly different. It seemed like quite a tight knit of, like, uh, UK athletes that would always sort of, like, we'd, we'd know what competitions we'd want to go to and what ones we sort of, like, respected and really wanted to try and test ourselves at. I don't know if they still hold anything sort of true like that. I know we had most people sort of like gear up for like um, regionals and stuff like that or back in the day. Um, but there was things like the London throwdown when it bolt and uh, yeah. what was the battle of the beasts? Yeah. And they just called it the European throwdown. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. And there was competitions, I guess people would gear up towards doing. And um, I'm not, I don't want to keep saying gear. I'm not actually, no one was actually gearing up towards doing that, but uh, <laughs> people were training up towards doing those things. But I think it was like, there's like a refined effort to where people were training towards. Whereas now it seems like a real scattergun approach. They seem quite diluted in where people are trying to train from where people are going for. Um, but it always seemed like there was a few on the calendar that there were, you could not miss each season. Yeah. Um, it was really fun to train for. And we always knew that they're, they're the, the, well, from our side, that the lads that would be there, are the ones you really want to try and beat. And sometimes you get people coming over from different places to get into the mix on that as well. But there was always those um, really anticipated events on the calendar and a few of them. Um, and they were just always like wild workouts as well. Like some of the, some of the things that would be in there would be super tough. They wouldn't be very inclusive. Yeah. Um, the qualifiers being tough to get to them and then the actual events themselves would be a bit of a, a showcase of 
what people could do. Um, whereas I think a lot, of, and I don't really know too much about competition. I was like you said, I've taken a big step back, but I think there's a lot more now that do. Uh, it's a lot more inclusive, which is a great thing. But that also means that it just dilutes down what's happening there and where the focus is for that competition. And I love people competing and I love people doing stuff. And it's so great in the gym that we work in. Um, having people trying to better themselves by going to these competitions is great. If you don't know what RX is or if I've gone in scaled or foundational or whatever people are doing, you don't really know who's who's who of what that showed up. Like some really great people are doing some things. I don't know whether it's they're doing a recommended comp or a pro comp or what it, what it is. So yeah. there's a bit more confusion on that sort of side, I think. Yeah, I think we, we mentioned that with Steve actually that it's gone from CrossFit with its high technical movement to inclusive functional fitness, whatever that means. Uh, maybe that's the difference in the competitions. I don't know if anyone else wants to come in on that. I think with the the, the uh, more accessible stuff, it's 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 a business thing, isn't it? Because like the majority of your your people in CrossFit aren't necessarily elite. So if they want to get mass participation, they make it more accessible, don't they? Yeah. Whereas before, London Froden had 150, one category, 150 athletes, male athletes, 150 girl athletes, all in one category. And now it's like there's all the different lower, lower numbers in one category, but loads of different categories to appeal to more people. Then they like liquidate every year as well because they probably couldn't make the money. Yeah. So they did like a great yeah. competition, but a bad business model. Mm-hmm. Or breaking the floor, it's, or whatever yeah. it was today. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like in the competition in the competition now. Whatever, some max burpees. <laughs> yeah, that was at the burpee ladder. Burpee over the bar. Hey, I'll take that all day long. Sub burpees for max snatch. You'll take that as well, eh, Mitch? Hey, at this Absolutely. stage, I'll fucking take it too. <laughs> <laughs> I think on on that um, on that note there, I think it's. It's where, for me, it's where should you draw the line, if you should draw a line at all, as to what um, level you should be at to earn the right to compete in a competition. It's like, do you just, for me, and this is my opinion anyway, is that there needs to be a point at which, where competition starts, and that that isn't inclusive for me. If we're talking about, you know, helping um crossfit develop as a competitive thing call it a sport if if, if you want um because how many what we've all i think we've all owned a gym at one point or are currently owning or are heavily coaching how many times have you seen a member who is someone who's maybe been in the gym for about six months decided to enter this uh really inclusive competition has then just like smashed themselves and got themselves run down like in the prep for it and got really nervous and and then potentially even got injured in the run up to it injured in the competition or then just been like burnt out from after the competition and not then got properly back into a, a good routine and I think because that there's a lack of support for the for that level of person to be able to do that inclusive competition successfully I think um it just creates a lot of issues um, like elsewhere. I feel like when we were all competing in early years, we're talking like, you know, 2012 to 2015, probably. Like Alex said, we didn't really, 
no one I don't ever remember communicating with you Alec or, or Matt or Mitch or saying should we do this competition because everyone just did like there was just yeah it was just thing wouldn't it do like it would just you kind of uh, had like you had like the standardized season you yeah. know like you would gear to quote Alec you would gear up and you kind of I feel like you know you would do a competition like Battle of London where were, where was the one the year before that? Brunel, wasn't it? Was yeah, Brunel, Brunel University, University, right? You did yeah. that competition and you knew there was going to be a high standard of athletes there that would give you a good metric for where you were at. You know, you would then use that as like, okay, where am I? What do I need to work on before you go into the open, which would then lead on to either regionals or whatever it was, you know? Like I remember doing Battle of London when we broke the floor. Yeah. <laughs> and coming out the back of that comp and being like, okay, I'm not fit enough for where I want to be. If I want to go to regionals next year, I need to like pick things up a little bit. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there were there were there were clear indicators when they I guess what I'm trying to ask is like if that was 150 people, I think what you said then, Mitch, that qualified for whether it was called London Throwdown or Battle yeah. of London. Like, I know there's people in my at CrossFit JST, there's members that would try and do the qualifiers, they'd get involved, but they wouldn't make the 150. So it's like, but then they didn't then go on to like compete in this like scaled version of the competition. They just didn't make the competition. So you're getting, it was inclusive in the sense that people were, having to, able to do the qualifiers and try to get there. But then there was the line cut was at 150. It was like, right, well, if you got there, then you could, you had the, the reward I, of competing I, in, I, in. I think with the, the issue of saying like, um, there can only be like a certain level of people earning the right to compete in CrossFit. I think the issue we've got is, is the money, isn't it? Yeah. Because like, can a business who's running competitions fund it from just elite level and not have a scale division and intermediate and then an RX. Yeah. And I guess like, obviously I don't know if anyone's got um, experience in competition. Alec, you probably worked alongside quite closely with Ollie and helped him out with strength and stuff a few times, but this, then it comes into the argument of just like, well, if there wasn't a competition every single weekend where all of the funds that were being dragged from sponsors and like vendors yeah. were being uh, diluted across the whole year. If it went back to three or four, I don't know, three or four main competitions in the UK a year, then suddenly we're not down uh, diluting like spectators being wanting to like, being um, like ready to go and travel to the other side of the country because like people used to for London Throwdown people a bit more excited to go to each event. So they might bring in some more spectators that way. Then the vendors are going to do better. So they can charge the vendors more Then the sponsors get more from it because more people turn up. There's more support with judges because people aren't trying to volunteer every other weekend for, you know, some sandwiches and a, and a t-shirt. I think there's just like that much being thrown at this inclusive side of fitness that it's actually just like, completely diluting all areas of uh, competition in the UK. Um, and I feel like that's like a stepping stone as to why um, I I think 
CrossFit, uh, the UK competitive scene is slowing down to what it used to, let's say like six to seven years ago when I felt it was at its peak in terms of the amount of athletes we'd get to regionals level. Coming from somebody who's obviously at the opposite end um, and somebody who uses CrossFit as a fitness tool, that's it, not, not for competition or anything like that, but just as, as to, to stay healthy. It's, it's quite unique in a sport that people use, the majority of people use for um, their gym. It's just the method that they use for um, fitness and, and strength. But then I think there's probably a lot of people who do that who think, oh, I'm, I could go to this competition and do that. Uh, and actually, the competition then has to be at a lower level to allow those people in who are just in the gym rather than training to succeed in the sport, if that makes sense. Because people who go to like pure gym or any of the um, your normal gyms, you wouldn't say I'm going to compete in, you know, doing the chest press because there isn't a competition for that. Yeah. Whereas CrossFit <laughs> has the competition. Yeah. And would a lot of people be turned off coming into a CrossFit gym if there wasn't the idea that they could show what they can do in a competition yeah. at the lower level. I, I think, I think it's like that grassroots level is like, it's, it's there in almost every sport, isn't it? Like you don't have to be a professional footballer to go and play football every week. Yeah. True. You know what, you know what has really changed though? Like, so like my first ever competition was divided we fall. Sam Briggs judged me. Who? You know, <laughs> Briggsy. <laughs> um, you know, that was my first ever competition in a team. And that's kind of where grassroots competition, I think, started within CrossFit. And that's in a lot of ways where I feel like it should have stayed. You know what I mean? Like in-house competitions are a great way of like facilitating and scratching that itch for your competitive member. But by hosting competitions like that, the, uh, like surf games and ethics and all of these other things, I'm like, it, it's not real and it's not really CrossFit. You know what I mean? And it's, you are like, like by having these competitions, it is like, it, like, like Steve said, it is diluting the standard of the sport. Because, you know, I mean, I think there's like, there's a, there's like a multitude of things that contribute to that. When, when, when we say diluting, do we mean we diluting the competitiveness at any single competition and not the standard yeah. of being individual athlete? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess so everyone, everyone, everything is like, If you go to an elite level competition, it's like, right, there's only three people in contention. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Everything gets diluted, doesn't it? The, the resources, yeah. the, the judges, the spectators, yeah. the equipment, the, the standard of athlete, like the standard of judging as well. Um, you know, everything everything gets diluted at, at that point. And I feel like you know, things have been like, you know, your uh, Mrs. Sophie's heavily, heavily involved in graft events, the Battle for Mill Ground stuff they've got like a series of their own events and they're all run very well because it's the same people they've got like their team that run that as a, a full-time business but then you've got like another there's a couple other events companies and then just people just doing like one-off 
events and then suddenly everyone's trying to get after the same vendors the same sponsors the same judges um but i guess like going back to you know when you when you compare the grassroots level of crossfit and the grassroots level of football yeah you can go and play football in you know amateur sunday league or you can play five aside like a couple of times a weekend and that's like the equivalent of going to your crossfit box and doing a class i guess it's like but you can't you can't turn up um at preston north end or i don't know um yeah okay uh, yeah, yeah can i play like can i try and play this weekend like it, there's there's a certain level of like where you have to yeah. You, yeah, earn that right to to compete at this higher level competition and i feel like that's where things are um get a bit cloudy in crossfit is that that's too in, too open i feel like to um support a, com- a successful competitive scene. I think it's the analogy of the football one, um, just to stay on that for a second. Sorry, Paul. Um, effectively, no matter what level you're playing at, you're playing the same game. Yeah. Whereas in CrossFit, ending where we um, ended saying it's, it's um, muscle-ups at a minimum. If you can't do muscle-ups and you're competing, you're not doing the same sport. Yeah. It's it's funny to kind of kind of latch on tag on to the end of what you said there. Like I saw really, it was a couple of months ago, but Fronin put something on his Instagram pertaining to mayhem programming, and it talked about if you change the workout in any way, you have scaled it. And I think it's a really good metaphor because it's like at the end of the day, if you can't do muscles, but you can do like 130 burpees in seven minutes, right? Doesn't mean you're not fit but you can't do muscle-ups. Therefore, you're not to that standard. You know, and I I think the whole competition scene right now, it does just look very different to how it used to. I think you've got three tiers going on now. I think you've got your fitness um, methodology, your top-end competition, and in between seems to be the business... um, Bit that's come into CrossFit that wasn't there before. Does that make sense? Where you're trying to earn money off the back of people wanting to compete. Yeah, that, that's that's the tricky part, isn't it? It's like where you're going to get the money from if you're not having, if you're limiting it, limiting it to only people who can do RX. Yeah, I mean that's that's the biggest factor. But that's where like you'd expect like if it was only a couple of events a year, big sponsors to get involved to fund. Whereas now you've got turf games, high rocks, this athletics that's trying to come in as well. That's all taking money from what would have been a top tier, what you guys would have gone to five, six, seven years ago to compete, to go, look, I'm I'm the kiddie in the UK. Whereas that's gone now, that level seems to have disappeared. Mm. And it seems to be very much team focused, not so much individualized. And I think the knock-on effect of that is you don't then see such um, sharp weapons at the top of the table that are then going to go off and represent the UK at the Games. Yeah, Alec, I still yeah. feel like you were about to try and say something. Yeah, I can't put my hand up on this, can I? Uh, I'm sure I was looking for that. I just got to jump. Yeah. You've got to slide um, your screen one more to the side and you can see everyone. 
get them on there. I can see. Yeah, I can see you all. Um, I think there's like a, it's like an education piece. I feel like the whole way through because. I think it's great that people compete at any level. I think that's actually a really great thing. I know we're saying that there's dilution at the top, but I think it's such an important part of what people do to play their sport across it. Like you have people training it um, to keep fit and to just stave off the boredom of keeping their body moving and stuff. Then you have people that try and want to go and do weekend competitions and they have so much fun and enjoyment through that. I, don't, I think taking that away from people or saying that you can't do a competition is there, but I feel like, it's understanding and labeling those competitions in a way that would allow people to like merit their value a little more. So if there was some sort of like um, some sort of governing body or like accreditation that would just be like, uh, I can use examples from the, the past, like uh, the Inferno used to be a really good competition that was barbells and running, no rig. And it's like, it's a no gymnastics competition. There wasn't handstand walks or anything like that, but you knew if you, it's a good off-season competition because you could be like, there's weightlifting, loads of running and stuff. You know that's a good competition. And if you were placing in that, you know that's really great, but you know you're also only going against people that can't, that might not be able to do other things. But then if you go to something that was like a London Throwdown or something that's more of that elite level now, you know you're actually going up against people that can do all of those things, whether they're in the qualifiers or a bit of a prerequisite. But you would have a bit of an allocation of those. Like say like a High Rocks, that's not really... Um, necessarily a crossfit competition but it's got those elements of fitness that are probably really good to be able to be good at it's got a team element but it still needs to be like categorized in a way that you understand what you're actually competing against so if there's a way where you could go to these competitions and understand well this is a fun team competition that's mixed like so like a strength and depth there's people in there that are having a really great time in a mixed capacity some people like it's the first year i've done it um in the team and not trying to go towards the top team trying to go into a lower team in our gym and just go in for the experience, I don't, I don't even care about the leaderboard. And I think the whole team that we're with just went to do our best as a team that we were. So we weren't going there to win or be the best, but it was still brought up with some of the best performances from some of those people, which is invaluable. But everyone knows what strength and depth is. It's a 12-person competition, and there's not really much chance for an individual to shine in there. It's all about being a good team. So that's a really nice team competition. But I think what I'm trying to just say is basically there's no way of knowing what these competitions are, and there's no set molds for them to fit into whereas i think previously it was a lot more obvious whereas now it seems to be a little less obvious where these competitions are going so people yeah. will be signing up the stuff and claiming i don't know anything about football <laughs> it could be like i'm king of manchester because i just won a <laughs> manchester competition and then it's yeah. like yeah but you, you, just because you played a competition here like say like battle of beasts moving to the european championships they just coined the name european championship it's still the same people doesn't mean you're king like, of europe yeah, it doesn't mean you're king, king or queen of Europe, whatever. It doesn't, yeah, yeah. It's none of that. But it's just like, yeah. it's understanding that label, isn't it? You could be like, and I always think it's funny when you talk to people that, um, when I used to compete and talk to people about it, like say your parents or friends or whatever, they didn't CrossFit. They just be like, oh, how, say where you came, you're placing, they're like, how many people were there? And you're like, well, like, I don't know, 70. And then they're like, oh, oh, so that's not that good out of 70. And you're like, yeah, but before <laughs> that was this, and then it was this. And it's like, but it's also this competition where you have to get to there or whatever, but it doesn't really compute until you know what the variables are within that competition. So my thought would be like getting some sort of understanding of what these competitions are trying to test and getting a, a bit more of an idea. So the people come out of there like I've, I've won a lower league game or I've played a lower league game and I did quite well in it, but I know it's not this or that. Yeah. So I think it's probably important to just reference back where we started and saying 
the difference perhaps now is instead of the top people, and that's not everybody, but it doesn't seem to be as a harder push in the CrossFit community to really hit the games. And I'm looking from the outside in. I'm not actually at that level, so maybe the conversation is different. But there seems to be less of a hard push in that top level to get to the games, and people are happier to be more... Um, visible on social media and do well at the those other events that we've talked about so it's not that we shouldn't have those other events for people to go and enjoy competing it just seems that the focus has shifted yeah, yeah. It's not a rigged system but it was a bit iffy like when we used to do it like say if me and mitch i know steve got to the games and like pretty successful with team and stuff like that afterwards but like Mitch and I and Matt and loads of other people in the UK were at a, sta- a games-worthy standard, but in a, a highly stacked region. So it's almost like yeah. the actual sport we were playing wasn't really that fair in that sense. So maybe there's a bit of loss of... Well, I know, definitely. I just, I just couldn't be bothered with it. <laughs> it's just like, there's no point. Like, when you put your numbers up against, I think it was one of the Canada regions, like, it was almost like three or four years in a row I would have been at the games if I was Canadian. I would probably would have better like plaid shirts and stuff and like lumberjack as well but it's like it just wasn't a competition that that it, i think it's more frustrating than anything in that sense like you could you could you could be a game standard athlete in a really highly stacked region which did bring a lot out of you so you would be really good mm. but you might not actually get there so even the even the game we've been playing there's never been really something that seems super fair in that think- sort of sense as well so then there's more weight on people well actually the games is a bit of an unrealistic target I'd rather smash these other competitions or or get some free stuff on Instagram or whatever. It's almost like um, that's just part of sport though, isn't it? Playing at those different sort of levels. Whereas like you could get to the World Cup final in football and play a load of crap teams to get there almost. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it's not, yeah, it's kind of like, that's kind <laughs> of like, it was just tough shit, wasn't it really? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, definitely tough shit. I do, uh, I do agree with with Alec there. I think there's obviously a, multi- a multitude of different reasons we can go into as to why maybe we feel like the UK is maybe falling behind in terms of like getting athletes to semi-finals, regionals level. That one, obviously, like now when you look at the format and what this season's rules are, is that there's at least ten men from Europe going to the games, and there's potentially thirteen, uh, depending on obviously the scores of quarterfinals this weekend so if you now think right that's 13 out of 60 and it used to be 60 at regionals i think it changed to like 40 and no, 48 yeah changed uh, to 44 but they're like 13 so it's like right fuck at a like what was your highest place in alec at regionals okay 11th and a 12th or something like well, that well like a 14th i got 19th 19 for Mitch, she was down in like the teens as well. 13th. 13th. So like then then suddenly if this is the format, the same format like seven years ago, um, we potentially all stood here with a games uh, appearance and things look a little bit different and potentially your everyone's careers for the next five years look a bit different because, you know, you've got that uh, to go with. So I think that's just a bit, a little bit of unfortunate of like the sport being young and it growing in Europe from America I think um that being so that that being like one of the main reasons but then obviously you've got the 
the change of the format, which was just like crazy in terms of like national champs and sanctional events, I think that then changed the UK. So as an example, best that best of British camp that we held, I think there was 16 of us, or there was like 12 to 15 of us maybe, um, all around about the same level that were all more than happy to get together and, and train and push each other. And then I, f- I feel like as soon as that national champ rule came out, and it was like, right, there's a ticket for one person out of that those potential 15 people to go to the games. Then there became a real reason for them, for the, that 15 people at that level, to not interact with each other because you were all fighting for this one spot, whereas previously you weren't really fighting against each other. You were kind of working with each other to try and get as many of us over to Denmark yeah. or wherever the competition would have been. I think that changed the... Um, the outlook of probably and I don't know whether it would have happened the same in many other countries as well but I felt like in the UK it turned a lot of, of the top athletes against each other to be competing against them rather than like where we used to be like together um, and then I think the then obviously COVID the COVID world hit and then I think as as it restarted then it was just like everyone was everyone was going at it to try and get like that competition that that competition that everyone wants to go to set back up and then it was like everyone just headbutting the wall at the, at the, at the same thing so yeah that's my um i think like kind of to regress a little bit to what alec was saying you know 2016 was kind of like the year that like burnt me the fuck out that was like for me where after the open that year I was like without even realizing it I was like super over it because 2016 was the year that they changed the format so I think it was 44 or was it 44 or 48 whatever it was it was in the 40s that qualified I was for 40, it was less than that wasn't it Two like 40? Yeah. 48 in 2014 40. wasn't it and then I think it was like 20 yeah, 2016, it split the region, didn't they? Into th- so, like, you know, Europe, East, and whatever, and 30 yeah, 20, and 30. Yeah, 20. yeah. Well, whatever it was, right? They like, they changed they changed it in 2016, and I remember missing out by, like, I think I missed out by three places. I was, like, top 300 in the world, or 199th, I think, again, in the world. Didn't make it to regionals. And then, like, four guys got, four of the Italians got popped, or told and told not to compete that year. And, and I was just like, that Barbati and all of those lot. And I was just like, without even realizing the effect that it had on me, I was kind of like, I'm over this. And I think what Steve said is, like, bang on, you know, like, unfortunately, like, timing-wise, the sport is young. And a lot of us lot, are very much so the guinea pigs of the sport. You know what I mean? And and I think Europe particularly has always kind of been given the short end of the stick without wanting to be a victim or without wanting to like bitch and moan because that's not what I'm doing. Like, you know, it's the hardest region in the world. It's the most talented region in the world, you know, and this year is the first year that that's been recognized. And it's like, no wonder, like, People are burnt out. And, you know, Mitch, you took a long, long, long break away 
I took fucking a couple of years out where I was just like, I don't want to be part of this anymore. I like, I feel like you did the same, you know, I always did it, but I just like the, the competition side of things, I think because of CrossFit's infancy and like the changes they made, it, it definitely did kind of disrupt the UK scene. Like, I remember that 2014, 15, probably, you know, like 2016, me and Massey trained together every day for that season, you know. There was still a very tight-knit crew of people where you were constantly getting together to push each other and to try and be better. Whereas I think as time has gone on, and especially after the National Champs thing, like some of the shit I've seen on social media where, like, people are chirping up about being the best and being the this and being the that and I'm like you might be the national champ after the Open but it's like you've never been to the games or you know like there's a lot more to it than that you know yeah. Open's just foreplay isn't it really let's be honest it is now they just skip it had to skip the open though <laughs> <laughs> we, we used to have to do the workout sometimes three times in a day it's funny, Nick, because it's like a super serious athletes, like legit athletes all around doing CrossFit, doing a sport that is at times quite laughable and that like someone in your gym's judging you doing a thing. <laughs> You're not, it's not bad to like, you wouldn't get like your mate, like referee in a football match, would you, as you're going through it and stuff. But it's like, that happens. <laughs> so there's that illegitimacy through sport in that sort of sense. And then you you get to an event and like we've all had it where you just go there and the judge like I think the judges of these events are brilliant like but you can get the odd judge that's just there because they want to be a part of something and they don't know what's going on they're more overwhelmed at the moment and then they could be doing stuff wrong and it's like there's so many random elements to the sport that ain't actually that professional like even on the announcement recently then they put the wrong weights on the bars and stuff and it's like <laughs> you're not going to come on to like a I'll keep using this football magic pretend I know about football but like you're not going to go into a football match and they're like, oh, I got the wrong ball. It's a rugby ball. Oh, <laughs> like, keep it playing. Like, they just don't know what's going on. But no matter how, I think I do feel sorry for if you are still trying to be in that, taking the sport super seriously, because at the end of the day, it gets these events sometimes and they're not super serious about it themselves. And it's like, yeah. people put in a lot of time, effort, sweat, and then you get to some of these things and it's like, Jesus, that is bad. Like you go to a warm-up area and there's not the right kit or you go out and then you can't do the things. It's like, it's not always defined what you're actually going to be doing. That's the constantly variable like sort of situation. But it sometimes is quite, chuck like you can chuckle at it. You've got it, I think, because it's a bit, it is funny. There's, a, there's, there's those elements too you just can't control that are just a bit weird when you get down the line. Yeah. And that's why I think as someone who's been pursuing high-level CrossFit for years five years plus for example can get fed up of it because yeah. you you you, re you suddenly realize that you're a professional amateur it's like yeah. you're not getting you're not earning a living doing it proper living doing yeah. it you know you but you're training professionally as professionally as you can and then you go you go to a competition and i don't think sometimes crossfit um care that you've dedicated your life to 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 this so i that analogy sounds a bit like UK athletics. If you're not on the lottery scheme, probably that's an element of that as well, that um, you're not funded, you are a professional amateur until you get lucky. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
it would be interesting to see how CrossFit would do if it ended up in like in the booster sports for universities. I know that's kind of become very um, segregated because it's just universities, but whether it would bring stuff along, or even if they had the games in Europe, would it suddenly push things forward a bit instead of just being in America? I think it's. I think if CrossFit weren't run by America, it'd be loads better anyway. <laughs> I think it would. It just would. I think um, it's a case for pretty much every sport as well, though that's not mainstream. So that every sport that's not rugby union or football or mm. um, cricket, yeah. I'd probably say, is, is is up there as like well paying. Even like rugby league, like Mitch is in there with in in a facility there, whereas there was a Wigan Warriors a professional rugby league team. They're like you know. You know, we train in there alongside them in that same building every day and they're in there less than us, training less. And you could arguably say, like although they're obviously very talented, they come from over the world, is like they're not putting as much into trying to be a professional athlete as a professional as someone who's trying to become a professional CrossFit athlete is, who's someone who's trying to get to the games or, or semi-finals. Um but like I say, it's just, it is just I think on on, on that on that note, I think it's something important that people like us who are more experienced stress to the younger people that it's important to enjoy the fact that you are training and not yeah, just be hell-bent in training twice a day inside four walls to then miss your goal and feel like that you've failed and that you're nothing. And you've you got to actually time, make sure so. that they're enjoying the day-to-day and I think that's so important and um, something that needs to be stressed to, you know, the up-and-comers. Because you don't want them to get to, to, to 28, 29, I've been doing five, six, seven, eight years, realise they're not going to make it, get injured. And every day they've put themselves through hell, sacrificed so much, not enjoyed the process. And mm-hmm. they're just you're mentally broken a little bit. Yeah, I think I think it's also the case. Uh, again, it, I think that is just um, elite sport. I think it's pretty cruel in that sense where you can just put every like five years of your life into it. Like even if if you imagine just these people that are training for the Olympics or even to get selection for the Olympics every four years, put everything into it for four years, and then you get ill on the day of like selection yeah. for the team or something, yeah. and you know it's all. Mm-hmm. You know, we think it was bad if we got ill during the open and that would be the, the one season gone. But imagine if it was, uh, if you're on a, an Olympic cycle and that was, that was, well, yeah. um, I think I agree with that. We'll think about your same nickel. Sorry, you go on. Sorry, to yeah. Drug, yeah. You, you think That's about right. Cam nickel, for instance. Think of that, no? Yeah, he good, good looking, tall, lovely guy. We had a chat with him actually, and he was saying about that. You know, it was, yeah, it's tough that four year cycle. And elite sport is ruthless, that is by its very nature and definition, it is pretty binary, isn't it? Yeah. And that's why I, I'm not saying that that competition sh- shouldn't be for everyone. Like, obviously, there needs to be some element there to to get the grassroots level and, and give people the experience that they, they maybe won't be able to do. But I'm fully aware that competition sport is ruthless. And, you know, I've, I've just the other week, or a few weeks ago, there was competition up north somewhere and two people broke the wrist on the same day. It was a one-day competition. Two people broke the wrist, one because someone caught a clean wrong and another because someone fell off the rig. And 
you could arguably say that if they were high-level athletes, they wouldn't have um, been at a capacity where they wouldn't have been in a position where that would have happened. Obviously, it happens, but you rarely, you have seen it at the games, but you rarely see someone fall off a rig at the games. Um, you rarely yeah. see, I know Brooke Wells did it on a snatch, but like, you rarely see in someone's elbows smash against the knees on a clean, like, because the, they spend hours a day moving, like dialing the movement mechanics so that they can clean that well, that they can qualify for competition. And usually that, if that's the case, then knees aren't hitting elbows in, on the bottom of a clean uh, so, and wrists aren't getting snapped. It, here's, here's a question then, Steve. If we were taking out that sort of intermediate level competition, so let's say Marbella, we just went and did elite. Yeah. Um, when we started, because the standard wasn't incredibly high, like a 95 kilo snatch was amazing, still is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you didn't have to be a year's training across CrossFit in 2013 would probably qualify you for the London Throwdown or something along those lines. So if you're, let's say, an Ed Cook who's Young, he's been training a couple of years now at quite a high level in terms of his training. If he didn't have that RX level of Marbella comp but couldn't make the elite comp in Marbella, is it an advantage to be, right, you're not good enough, or is it an advantage to have those stepping stones? So so if we stepped into it now, 19, and we're going to get to this fitness in, say, five years where we're at right now at our level, we couldn't qualify for anything for five years, didn't have any stepping stones, um, is that a disadvantage? No, I think I think there needs to be stepping stones. But I think the issue is when, like Alex said, when like there's there's stepping stones, there's just fucking loads of them. Like, and you can go okay, any, yeah. you can go in any direction, yeah. and there's no like there's no clear yeah. direction to what like if I do this RX competition, and I do well, then that'll mean that next year I can go to this next. And there's just like you can literally just roll your finger down like the the throwdown calendar website and just there's a you can just go a comp every other weekend and it's just it's just too unstructured and sporadic to be able to support that stepping stone approach. Because how how does it how does it Ed Cook if he doesn't have the the guidance of the right people or what stones yeah. to step on? <laughs> like how does he know? He's just going to end up like the what we, what I'm witnessing and seeing a lot of other young kids yeah. just fucking stepping on all the stones and then yeah. Yeah. So, so and surely that then you go means... on every one. It's not direct, is it? Yeah, you go nowhere. How, so to... how do you change that? So how how do you get it streamlined before when you've got entrepreneurs in CrossFit who want to make money from competitions? How, how do you how do you say no? We've got too many. You, so, you, I think there's there's a, there's one answer is actually the coach needs to direct the athlete. Yeah, but not everyone has a coach that has can give the right direction. No, so that's that's part of it, and then having a uniform season. But then that becomes the I mean, the competition there is then between the business person wanting to earn money and the yeah. sport wanting to have a season, and they don't necessarily mix together. I think. Um, I think it starts from it, it starts from the top, and then the top being um, these brands that are, that are, are very profitable out of CrossFit. So your drinks companies, your clothing companies, and you know these supplement brands or something. These people that are 
are going to become like the headline sponsors. They need to get together and just without thinking about like the direct profits that they might, they might get is actually we need them to have a, a invested interest in the competitive scene and maybe accept that it might take a, f- a few years, but then if they can support, I use Rich Hornsey and, and Ollie Mansbridge are probably the two competition directors that are that have, are doing great things in in the UK. But if they can just solely support these like main competition uh, and events companies and back those to a, to a higher level, rather than getting diluted across to these like, yeah. Well, you can do it like old um wasn't it like Michelin stars for like restaurants Michelin's was like the tyre brand that then was rating different uh bloody uh, petrol stations and then it was like restaurants and then it was like this but they've got like a set criteria that goes in there if it was like I don't know your, your knockos or something but it was like knocko rated events it's a knocko if it even if it was like Noco RX, Noco Intermediate, Noco Scale, at least you know everyone that Noco one's doing. You know it is, uh, you know it's legit on those standards, and you know it's that. But if there was a brand that would or or something that would just have that template that people knew what were doing, because again, it wouldn't really matter how many are done within that; they would dilute a bit. But if people can hold those like decent standards to that comp, where it's like all judges have done their CrossFit Level One judges course at this thing, all. Um, all athletes have gone through a qualifier that this, this, and this, or this one is like a recommended qualifier where there is these high skill elements or whatever. But because there's none of that, that's what's hard, isn't it? That's what you're saying. Those brands aren't doing that. So then they, they are diluted around all these different things. But there could be like a few brands that just step up and make those those events and sort of put their name on them and just say, look, this is a legit event well, powered by what we think it is. And it's each country has a CrossFit rep, don't they? They could have a UK CrossFit accredited competition yeah well i mean they've got right. the last crossfit license events but i do feel like i don't i don't know actually what the criteria is to get to get um mm. accepted on there rich hornsey and dolly mansbury have both been accepted as licensed events so i mean there's a there's a good start i guess is that those two events i'm not sure if there's many others uh, yeah, but like strength for depth's a community event as well it's not a it's not an individual one, event, is it? Yeah, but they, they, the one that the twelve-person one is a big community event. So mm. I don't know if they have different categories that they fall into. Or whether they're trying to figure that stuff out as well. I think well, you, you know, you've like brought this up many times over the years, and it's. I think it until there's a external governing body, you're never going to really see the kind of change. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if an external governing body will ever have the impact in CrossFit just um, because it's privately owned. Yeah, I just feel like you know it's it's happening in other countries. I think Norway are probably doing it the most successful. I think Sweden have, are having a good go at it, um, but there's still, you know, whether it just takes time or not, I'm not sure. But I still feel like. Um, I think I feel like so. So obviously, there was the Fitness Racing Federation, the FRF UK, and, and it and it and it fell apart because um, you know there's probably a, a few reasons, but there wasn't the the main thing. There wasn't the funding um, that was that was backing it. Um, and and again, it comes down to like, well, why was 
these bigger companies that are pumping 50 grand, 100 grand into these small competitions, why weren't they backing something that was actually going to benefit the sport in the long run rather than looking at this like direct return of exposure on Instagram or exposure through something that they're going to get for that one weekend. Like if they'd, if they'd looked at it as like a three to five year project of like, right, well, if we sport this and help it grow, we become like the headline sponsor of this thing. That's just going to be, you know, it's going to help not only just churn out athletes, but like raise the standard, raise the, the, the experience that spectators have at competitions in the UK, which it, it all will come back around eventually. Um, I feel like it was just, it's kind of like that, that Instagram, TikTok-y, like um, instant gratification, like that instant reward back from like, oh, I'm going to spend this money and, com- and sponsor this competition. That means I want this back straight away rather than like, you know, you can, you can kind of make the, the, uh, comparison to us as athletes whereas like we weren't doing it for that but we knew that in four years time we could potentially get to regionals or the games like if you had the same outlook from a from a brand that's supporting a competition whereas you're not just looking for like this instant profit but in five but years time, we, you know you could have changed the 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 sport completely in the country and i think that like that that spells out the problem completely and it's like a cultural problem that we're facing like across everything like i think globally right now where it's like because of instagram and tiktok and these other things people are more concerned about instant gratification than they are about actual long-term success and longevity and these other things you know and it's 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 why i think in a lot of ways the overall (laughs) sort of it's having a piss Mitch is going for a piss (laughs) The overall standard of athletes in the UK has dropped because it's like more people are concerned about getting something to post on Instagram than they are about actually winning a competition. Like people are more concerned about likes than they are about actually doing well. And I think that also kind of segues into like, we were all just built differently. (laughs) I agree, but I also feel like there's a reason why people are like that now. And that reason is becoming because the only people that are providing opportunity are brands that are asking them to do that. I'm going to use Jen Muir as an example, like upcoming UK, UK um, athlete. She's, she's, um, I don't know what she's got. She's good. A couple of thousand Instagram followers or, or, or something. She's very good. She's got a very good chance of making semi-finals. She only started CrossFit in lockdown. She's 22 years old. And she already is, is thinking about, oh, I need to like make sure I'm posting more often and, and make sure that I'm uh, getting more followers so that I can get more, sp- more sponsors. So it's like athletes are having to think that way. I don't feel like it's, you know, maybe it's a little bit like people – are valuing that more so but why are they valuing it in that light it's because I feel like it's being that's being rewarded by people yeah. rather than you know having a bit of a different outlook on it so like you can earn more as a shit athlete but good at Instagram than you could ever earn for being a good athlete at the CrossFit if that makes sense yeah yeah but then but, but why like that and I don't think it's the athlete's fault to be honest no, it's, it's, it's not the athlete's fault, no. It's, Arguably, it's, it's definitely the companies, 
but it's also like, like people who aren't ever going to make it just being really good at Instagram. Yeah, there's a there's a sense of that as well. I guess people realise like, that they can make some money by. Um, so you, you can look at some people on Instagram. You're like, oh, they they, they look fucking class, and you see them on the leaderboard. They're fucking nowhere. Yeah. You're like, you got hundred thousand followers. Like, fuck me. Dripping a good kit though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I, uh, se- slightly separate um, tangent. That's something I was just thinking about before. Matt, Alec, and Mitch, and myself, actually. We all pretty much retired around about the same time. And it was... What do you mean, retarded? The rest of us are retired. <laughs> um, and, you know, I do feel like it's slightly... Like, you know, when, when I'm saying, like, why is the UK... Is it behind now what it used to be? Is it because... Um, the point we all, where we all kind of thought, no, we're going to just put this on the back burner was around about the time when, like you said, Alec, CrossFit has started doing like weird things. They'd suddenly change the rules so that, you know, the the national champion of Uganda could now go to the games or did release workouts six or 12 hours earlier than what I should have done because someone's leaked something and like all these little things that you like, can joke about but it makes the the sport like really hard to fully commit to when boundaries and rules are being changed to that much that it's actually quite laughable like even some of the instances like with Emma Tor like being announced as a games athlete on Instagram and then like three days later telling her that you're not going to the games because your videos had a third review or something because of something that was like, it's, I feel like at that point, like 2019 to 2020, which is when everyone properly like stepped down, then there was just like this huge gap then of like no athletes coming through because no one wanted to step in and, and go for it at that point because no one knew what was, you know, what they were getting into because the rules were changing every year and Everyone was a bit of a joke, to be honest. So, you know, is it at that point now where we've had, you could argue, say, good structure for the second year in a row, where I don't think the format has changed too much in the last two years, maybe slightly, um, but in a good way? You know, do we then, is that just then the beginning of something in two years' time that we sat here with 20 athletes? Yeah. Um, I definitely think if they know if people know what they're shooting at, they're definitely gonna more likely to hit that target or more likely to take a take a shot at it. Like you ain't gonna it's so much of a gamble otherwise, isn't it? So I think that's a good point. It's probably a bit of a lag. Because it's like we're like a hangover from the old style and then there's like a few years of it being weird. And then like this new way of competing, a new way of um like an open and then the the semi-finals and then moving on in different ways. People just get used to training like that and they will just get better at it. So maybe yeah, maybe that's I think it. it comes. I think it comes back to what we said earlier in terms of um, the exposure of CrossFit being relatively unknown and a new sport, and then around that sort of time, um, in the sort of late teens, around twenty twenty, obviously more people were doing it. There was more gyms open. There was a lot of you know members and people playing CrossFit who obviously influenced things in terms of. You know, diversity. Let's say, using the example of the national champion of champion of Uganda, um, getting in. 
they just had to listen to and try and please far more people. And I think maybe you're finding now it's going back the other way and thinking, actually, we've, we've tried to do that. Let's refine that a bit. Because you want it to be popular because that helps. But then there's lots of voices giving an opinion on something that they were brand new to. And for the first time, CrossFit as, an, as, a, as a company, as an organization, has had to listen to a lot of people telling them what to do. Yeah, I think, yeah, a part of it. I mean, Alec, you probably could shed shed some light on this. And you, you're you working in a, I don't know, you class it as a corporate company now? Kind of? Uh, yeah, well, dealing with some of the corporate world, yeah. I guess yeah so. like when decisions are made in, in these companies, they're not made willy-nilly. Like, they're not just made on a, on a whim and just, like, um, in a reactive way. There needs to be, you know, sat down conversations and yeah. really thought through arguments from either side to be able to come up with the right decision. And and I can't accept that that's that that happened during that amount of time. And that's the what makes it hard to commit to because it it seemed like Greg Glassman turned around and gone, you know, in fact we're just going to do it like this this way after six years of structure of you know you could argue that it was wasn't broke other than maybe like distributing games uh qualifiers a little bit better it wasn't broke and then suddenly um it was because they just turned it on its head and i just feel like the decision making process at that point i don't think it was a case of they had to listen to loads of people i, I feel like they just made some terrible <laughs> terrible decisions to be honest yeah. Um, yeah. National champs things is bullshit. Shocking, wasn't it? When you think back to it now, it's absolutely shocking. Mental. So here's here's a question: Why stick with CrossFit when there's so many other things that you could? Something else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's nothing like the games, though, isn't there? No. This, the lure of the games is still, and even semi-finals. Like, the, the, the status of games athlete as well is like really good, which is a good reason why they got rid of that national champ scheme because that really sort of devalued being a games athlete. Yeah. Do you think CrossFit like, still is the pinnacle? Of? Yeah. Oh, just yeah. King, king of the world, <laughs> going back to the king analogy. Hmm. I think if, you, if you've got to the CrossFit games like now, it's, you're... you're that's it, really. Top, top, top level again. Uh, I, I, I don't agree. Why? It's like in CrossFit, you are, yeah. But if you're talking about sport in general, oh well, I mean, like in CrossFit, I started CrossFit 22 and got to games five five years later. You can't do that. You can't. You can't do that in other, any other sport. It's certainly less likely. You could, yeah, but like football, I'm not starting football at 22 and then being an England squad at. 27, do you know what I mean? But football's also, football's also so much older. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's the... You know yeah. what I mean? So I think yeah. it is one of them. Football as well is a game that doesn't really change, but CrossFit's like so varied. Yeah. So constantly. Constantly. <laughs> <laughs> football's not really even a sport, to be honest. They just <laughs> pick a ball around the field. Uh, <laughs> 
Actually, when are we going to start reminiscing about the old cross? Yeah, do you know? What? I was just going to say, right? Everyone needs to tell I, their favorite story from never, right now. I was just I was speaking to someone the other day about it, and I feel like I'm getting that person out. I'm not. I'm that person leaning at a bar, telling how it used to be. But like, remember, like this is like co- coaching as well. You have to like write people's and everybody's name on the board, like their times and stuff like that. Obviously, it's all like word boarded up now. But people would come in and shout time at you, and you'd have to write their <laughs> yeah. name down. I and still I, do that. And I was like saying, like so I said, how long you've been CrossFit? And I was like, I'm post. I'm like pre CrossFit shoes. I used to wear like fucking. Running like 800 meters in Converse and stuff like that, in shin splints. Yeah. (laughs) And like, yeah, you couldn't get any, like, you couldn't buy any CrossFit stuff. Now everyone's got every bit of CrossFit stuff hanging off their bag in a gym, but you couldn't even buy any of that back in the day. You had to get it from America, like lifting shoes and belts and stuff like that. I I competed at London Throwdown in rugby shorts. Yeah, classic. Nice. Uh, Rugby shorts and and innovates. I think they were the first CrossFit you bought. Uh, the blue ones. They, they stumbled into CrossFit, though, didn't they? What's, what's your favourite story then, Steve? Um, it's not particularly about myself, but I've, I always find... I'm, I'm a bit good that man, man loves not on the call, to be honest. I thought he sent his email address in. Um, I also remember, same workout, same year, actually. It was a bit of a story about you as well, Mitch, but um, at regionals, I'm pretty sure it's 2014, the 50s chipper... He's got no reps on wall balls for not extending his hips at the top of the wall ball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's just and like he's he's there just like so, you know Rob Manlove is fucking a huge well he was a huge monster to shout. Yeah. And then yeah, that, that, so I was next to him I was and I, I um I was on the ring discs yeah. ahead and my judge was giving me credit for jumping to the rings as one. And then doing a dip as two. So like, nice. So like, so like, no wonder you did so well. I'm, I'm effectively having my judge go two, four, six, eight, ten. <laughs> <laughs> and, all, and all I can hear, all I can hear to my to my right was no rep, no rep, no rep. <laughs> yeah. While I was while I was resting between my doubles, <laughs> I looked around doubles. and, and man was staring at his judge as the judge goes. You're not extended on your wall balls. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, a meat meat so wall there is being two, four, six. But with, with that two, four, six thing, I tell you what, when I was doing it, it went through my mind. Should I tell them? Should I tell them? Is it the moral thing to do to tell them that they're getting it wrong? And I thought, of course. Well, I, got, I got done <laughs> over on the legless rope climb workout where it was a rep. It was a legit a rep and a no rep me. So I thought, this is my... Uh, this is the swings and roundabouts that I'm having. <laughs> Amazing. That was good. Come on then, Matt. Your In, turn. I'll be honest, like, for me, like, it was the best of British camps. It was it was the first time that we had kind of uniformed each other and, and all really got together to really push things forward as a, as a team. Um... And I think it, it was just cool, you know, like, I don't know, for, for whatever it is, like, I, you know, I, I love and live and breathe sport and I've played sport my whole life and, you know, I always wanted to be an athlete. Um, and even now, like, still chasing the place at semis, you know, we're going into, going to quarters tomorrow and, and the goal is to, to book myself a ticket to semis, you know. But it was just, 
it was it was a really cool moment where we were all together, and it was there were no egos, there was no fucking bullshit. It was just come in, throw down, get busy. What was and that forty minute emo we did there? Oh, me and Mitch talk about GHDs, double unders. Oh, it wasn't GHDs. There's there's thrusters and box jumps. When it was two, yeah. it was two exercises per minute and about eighteen reps yeah. each, like. There's definitely 18 calorie 18, row. 18 cal row, nine thrusters, nine box jumps, 30 inch. Then the next one was nine burpees, nine chest to bar. Minute four was rest. And I'm, yeah, I, I, was a... Steve was waiting for me to get off the rower every single time. <laughs> for his fingers. And did well, the girls do that the next week and loads of them got the flu? Yeah, that's, the, that's the thing. Like, though, that best bridge, we had the guys and there was, I don't know, it was like 15 or so of us. And then the next week or the week, like two weeks after, we had the exact same amount of turnout with the girls and... That went pretty much the same training session. So to be at like 30 of the top athletes, male, female, in, in one place, um, I think that sh- that just shows like what everyone's attitude that was as athletes, though, at that time where everyone saw the opportunity to train together, didn't care what they were doing, where they were doing it, because they came to yeah, didn't care that it was a Wigan. Yeah, exactly. They came. <laughs> what, what, why did only two of them happen? We did a few. No, we did a few. You just didn't get advice. No, no. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there's loads more. We were like 10, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, we did, we did a few. I think they stopped, um, you know, we, went, we decided, I think they stopped like 2017. We decided to just put all our eggs and just focus on going team. And then we just never, by the time yeah. that year had finished, it wasn't long until that national champs thing happened. I think it just killed it off, really. It's something that we want to get going back up again, for sure. But. Um, can I tell you my one of my favourite stories we touched on it before as well was the actual breaking of the uh, wooden sprung floor which must have cost battle yeah. of millions of pounds the fact so it was like it was a max lift clean hand clean front squat jerk and they said that you had to bring the bar back down to your shoulders <laughs> and then control it to the floor Um. And I remember uh, I got 135 on that complex and there was no control to shoulders. It was a bar slam at full effort to the floor and like, as hard as possible. And then straight after that, max lift was Grace at 80 kilos. Yeah, that was it. Like, when, there must have been like maybe more than 20, 30 people in a heat. Because it was, like, was more than, yeah. I think it was at least 30, 40. There were so many people. I think it was 20 for 40 barbells, 80 kilos, yeah. just going boom, like heat after heat after heat on this wooden yeah. sprung floor. And then they stopped <laughs> bouncing, didn't they? They just stopped like hitting the ground and they're like, boom. Yeah. And they're like, <laughs> they weren't bouncing anymore. They just dropping them. One side is down. And you're like lifting like, like It was like that. deficit by the end, of, the end of it. I remember doing the next event and it was like, it was like Helen, wasn't it? With like kettlebell swings. And then I put my foot, foot down to do a kettlebell swing and like just like disappeared into the floor. And then, and then it was like the next on the evening of or the next day I'm, Sky Sports News is on yeah and uh, yeah. What, what is it they called us uh, glorified circuit trainers have, have ruined the yes. oh, for England yes. for there England so netball were playing against there. they had like an international match and England net, the England netball uh, game had to be um, had to be called off because some glorified circuit trainers had <laughs> done a competition at the <laughs> weekend that was pretty cool. Has has training changed or your approach to training? I appreciate some of you have dialed it back, but the things that you were doing 
eight years ago are you still doing now is it more refined is it completely different I think um, yours is definitely more refined I think it's gone whereas before when you first started ten years ago say it was like doing CrossFit workouts all the time hero workouts whatever and then it very quickly turned into hang on we need to do Olympic weightlifting on its own we need to do gymnastics on its own I think as an athlete who's got 10 years in the game now I think I benefit from more training of CrossFit as opposed to isolated sessions I've got to bring a few things back up to par but once they're back up to par I think just fitness trumps everything once you've got strong enough once you've got a decent capacity in gymnastics I think fitness trumps everything else. Um, I think what we what we are kind of fortunate from being in it from an earlier time is where most Metcons, the resistance element of a Metcon was a barbell. Rarely, rarely in pre two thousand fifteen was dumbbells incorporated in workouts that much. Something like kettlebell right, yeah. things, like mitt, was probably the main other thing. But a lot of the exercises were just barbells. So, like, we had to really refine our, like, barbell technique in workouts, in max lifts. And and then it progressed. Like, and then it got dumbbells got added. It's like, right, okay. And then, like, more strongman got added. It's like, then we progressively, like, improved, like, our arsenal of, of techniques for all these things. Whereas if you're getting into CrossFit now, it's like you got – it's quite overwhelming in the sense of, like, you've got barbells, you've got dumbbells, you've got kettlebells, you've got sandbag – You've got all of these different extra gymnastics movements as well as like we kind of moved with the progression of the difficulty and the variety of what like com- competitions could trick at you. So I feel like we could take them on board a bit more as and when they came. Rather, if you come into it now, it's like, fuck, you've got them pegboards and you've got bar pullovers that you've got to do. Now you've got to do strict hands and push-ups, kipping, parallettes, chest facing wall, all these like 10 different variations of hands and push-ups. Whereas w- when they came out, we just like just took one of those variations at a time. Um, so I feel like now getting yeah. into CrossFit, there's that many different elements. It needs a more structured, different approach than just doing CrossFit workouts, which we, what we could get away with really um, earlier on. I think it's, it's very different for people who are starting, isn't it? Who haven't got a foundation like we have. So we have, we have three years off, four years off, we've got to come back in and we can still do every movement. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. like, someone coming in, they're, like, they're not necessarily going to be able to go straight into to do all the movements, are they? So they need to do them in isolation. Whereas we necessarily don't necessarily need to do them in isolation anymore. As much, I don't think. Because we did them in isolation, though, I think. Oh, yeah, that's what I say. I say, I say my training is different. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying they don't need to do that. I'm saying that, that me and uh, my training is different because... Yeah, yeah. I don't need to prefer. I, do, I do think the I do think the approach to training has become more refined, and like training to make it to semis or to the games, there is there's a lot more in it now than there was back in the day. You know, like when I made like my first regionals, like I was training like once a day following CrossFit.com in 2012. You know, you take that to 2014, I was starting to follow a slightly more structured program, you know, where it was one two-hour session a day, 
five days a week. And I was running track on top of that. And then now it's, you know, there's four to five pieces of your training that you do in a day that if you want to make the most of it, you need to be splitting it into two sessions. And there, you know, there is a structure and a sort of blueprint to getting there, you know, which, which kind of, you're not going to, you're not just going to show up and be fit and make it to the games anymore. You have to, I think you have to have a structured approach to getting there and it, it has to be a refined approach. I think, I think it's a case of once you've got all the movements and you're strong enough, just capacity, just just fitness. But I look at, I, I look at yeah. people who are no clean jerk 160 most days of the week and they're lifting three times a week. And I'm like, why are you lifting three times a week? Just fucking get fitter. Mm. I mean, it's quite a, it's quite a time investment though to get to the level where you, you, you technically can do all the movements and you're strong enough. That takes years, as, as, you've, as you've illustrated. And Absolutely, yeah. Once you've done that, I think it becomes a little bit more simpler to focus on capacity. Mm. If, you're, if you're strong enough and you're, let's say, Zach George, what are his base numbers, clean and jerk stats going to be? 145, 120, like that's minimum on any given day. So you can afford to do his, his fitness four or five times a week. So, so maybe the question should be not not for you guys because you've got that base, but maybe the question should be for those people that are coming into it now that want to then compete. Because I think, Steve, when we spoke to you, it was very much, right, if you want to compete, you should have your structure program. You should have your weightlifting day, your gymnastics day, your capacity day, and focus it down as opposed to just metcom, metcom, metcom. Yeah, I think you've got. I think you've got to go through the ranks like you do with, with with any sport. You've got to, you've got to start. You've got to go. You've got to learn. You've got to get an interest in it, and that's that's by just joining a CrossFit gym and doing classes and, and getting coached and and. Yeah. And then progressively working through, and and I feel like this is where a lot of people go wrong now is that they'll go from just doing classes like they'll go like twice a week, realize they love it, then they'll like it'll gradually up it to like five times a week, and then it's like right, well now I'm going to try and do two sessions a day, three times a week, and it, and it, the the jump is too drastic. And I think like you know it's cliche, but I think just patience and just you can't just go from. The, the five classes a week to the uh, 20 hours of, of training a week. You can't do that within a year, I don't think. I think that takes three years to be able to get to the point where your body can still adapt and recover from the volume that it needs to do in order to tick all the boxes of every demand of the sport. Um, I think it is just like a, a three, four, five-year process from anyone now especially with the standard it's at now like i feel like that's why you know the people are thrustering 140 kilos in five minutes after a 15 minute workout like to get to that level there needs to be four or five years of of just progressive progressive in terms yeah. of like the you know the volume intensities but also the total volume that you're doing in, in a week in a month in in six months um 
it takes time and I think that's where it comes back to the Instagram TikTok world of that instant gratification how many people are willing to to go five years of just progressively getting themselves like exposed and adapted to what's needed to do before they can get the results I think Andre Hude is a good example he was someone who he was training he's class yeah like 2000 15, I remember it was at a weightlifting 101 camp. He snatched 100 kilos for the first time. And I'm telling you now, if there was 100.5 kilos on that bar, he wouldn't snatch it. Like it was total max. It was bottomed out. It was just about stood it up. And he snatches 140 now, I think. And it yeah. looked way easier than what that 100 kilos did. And this is like, we're talking eight years there between between the two and he's been a games athlete now for what the last three or so and he, and he had that mindset of like longevity didn't he at the start then yeah. so he had that mindset of like I don't mind this year I'm actually okay with it he was going to some region he was like it's just a bonus being there because it's not part of my plan yeah so that's like a, a crazy mindset he's got a very he's got a very emotional driver though hasn't he with the death of his brother was what powered him through that long term yeah, and you know, I coached him. Before, I coached him whilst he was his his brother had, um, unfortunately, had that instant, and he was like that before as well. Okay. Stood like what he need, he needed to do, and um, even last year, I said I spoke to him. I can't remember. I bumped into him. Um, he was at one of the semi-finals, and he was just like, "I'm." Uh, I've just gone through this fit, like more of a strength phase. Like at this point, like I'm not fit enough to make the games. If I make it, it's it's a bonus. But part of my plan is for like the seasons ahead, and I need to do this yeah. now to be able for the, the next season. And it yeah. obviously made the games. Um, yeah, got a lad at my gym that's like that as well. Well, our gym, he's um, he's awesome. Like he's re- he's so regimented his training, but he's li- I think he's got on his screensaver it's like games twenty twenty six. Yeah. Like that's his plan, and he he's like twenty uh, one or so, and he's he's really good, like re- legit athlete. Can snatch like one ten, one fifteen, and clean jerk a decent amount. Can't deadlift, but he doesn't. He's still young, like he could still. Yeah, he doesn't need to deadlift that much. Be like, he hasn't got the raw strength, but he's building all those bits up. But he knows he's got that time in it. So I think there are athletes that are going to be like that. That are coming up through in a sensible manner. That have their head switched on and are sort of down in that focused. Yeah, and that's path to where they want to go. That's how Andre is the perfect example because you, you'd have trained him at the same time as well. Like he, he yeah, didn't, yeah, I remember. didn't have any raw strength. Yeah, like it was just all mobility, technique, and just like yeah. speed. And and now I'm pretty sure he back squats like two two twenty, front squats one eighty, one ninety. Like he's got raw strength, and it's just taken five six years of just like consistent strength. I think. Um... People need to reflect on themselves and look at themselves where they're currently at and what the standard is. I think people, I think people look at like Mal O'Brien, new people. This is look at like Mal O'Brien, like how young is she and how amazing is she? Like she's just a freak athlete. Like she's not done, yeah. she's not done ten years like Andre Hude. She's done ten years of elite sport though. Hmm. Yeah, but not CrossFit. But there is that element. There is that element that sometimes like. I know there's that phrase in it, like hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, but hard work rarely beats people that are just really talented. <laughs> some people just come in, they've got like a good bit of talent, but like that's CrossFit sometimes, isn't it? Like some people haven't had to, 
they train hard, but they haven't had to try as hard as some people that try and really hard to be as good as them. <laughs> like, it's just like, that's just how it is. Like people will ask, Oh, how, how long did it take you to learn this? And like, that's like, I don't think I did. I just could do it. Like, you know, it's like, and that's the unfortunate thing. Cause it's like, well, not unfortunate, but it's like, it gives that like, people think, well, if I train for 10 years, I'll be at the games. It's like, nah, probably not. But if you don't have the talent there as well, it's a weird combination of those things, isn't it? So there's lots of that. I've got another good thought thing to go back on that. Go you go, Alex. I think think David's a really good example. I've been in the game now 10, 11 years and like come second to to Matt Fraser to qualify for the games. It's like it didn't just happen for David. It took a long time, hasn't it? Mm. Still going. Yeah, still plugging. I'm going to say something about um, back on them influencers and uh, like people on the uh, social medias and not to derail it too much. And I've got to go back to work in a minute. But um, you know what you're saying about people lifting and, and doing things they want to do. And Mitch was saying a bit like strong people keep doing the strong stuff. That echo chamber of what you do on social media makes people a caricature of what they are anyway. So like if you do the stuff you're really good at and you get likes for it and you get that instant gratification for what you're doing, you end up doing more of those things. You end up someone that can do like really good snatching workouts and other stuff that gets all the likes and stuff that keeps going. And they keep thinking about doing that or just doing the lifting. Cause that's what gets there. And they just have to put more of that out as well all the time. Whereas like the actual zone two training, or just like moving and breathing ain't very fun and good looking. So they're like always doing that other work that gets more appreciation, gets more of those clicks and all that sort of stuff. So I think that kills a lot of athletes as well. Just as a little, a little thought pop made when you were saying about people on, on the socials as well, but I think that's a massive thing, you know. People yeah. just start getting known for the things they do and known for doing that. And it's like the only workouts they do is like a big barbell and a, a bar muscle up and a, or whatever it's going to be. But yeah. there's definitely an element to that when it comes to training as well. It's like you all want to do something where I know I'm going to get beat at. So if I'm going to do 10, 500 rows, I'm going to be struggling to do a 148 split when I know sub 140 everyone else is doing all faster. I'm, I'm going to want to put myself in a hole when I know I'm already miles off the pace, even though I need to do this to get better. I'd rather, you'd rather do that, something that you're good at psychologically than something that you're really bad at. It's really hard sometimes to, to, to focus on that. And I think um, if someone's not got a coach, I think if they're writing for themselves, a lot of the time they'll naturally lean towards those things that are a more enjoyable session for them day to day and neglect potentially the ones that might humble them or whatever. Yeah. It's definitely something I was guilty of for quite a few years. I think we're all guilty of it, don't we? Especially if we're having a bit of a down day. The last thing we want to do is something that we hate. We'd rather just do something we enjoy. Mm. So, who is doing quarterfinals this weekend out of you guys? Steve. Yes. Myself. Matt. Yeah. Mitchell is a guinea pig. He's booked a holiday, semi-finals time. Mm. So nice. You having a go, Alec? Or what? Nah? Nah. I only accidentally qualified, really, this year. <laughs> <laughs> residual. It's just residual about, fitness. Hanging in there, like. Talent and hard <laughs> work. in its place. Yeah, I come. I, I did. I, I was just like joshing with the lads at the gym because a lot of the boys take it real serious and I beat everyone but one lad and that was it. And he doesn't always go to our gym. And I walked one of that... Was that one with the shuttle runs? I walked yeah, all the shuttles. Sure. 
You should never. You yeah. hey, you know, I'm not. I'm not a competitive athlete anymore. I'm not a competitive athlete, guys. Oh. I'm just there, like. All I'm saying is, instead of shuttle runs, so basically you got no reps. Yeah. Well. Okay. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm really not worried about it. I don't think. <laughs> I, did ring, I, did, I did ring rows and goblet squats in my workout this morning. I'm not like an elite athlete anymore, but it's fine. <laughs> I do like that. Accidentally made regionals. I like that. Yeah. Oh, quarterfinals. Yeah. So there's no competitive juice there anymore. Sorry. All to For me. Yeah. Nah. Not really. No. I'd say no. I don't. I just. I really fell out of love with it. I just think it's. Um, I think for loads of the things we explained, like the actual when you get to a lot of competitions and how sometimes they are and the results out of them, I just felt like, um, just felt like cheated out of like certain experiences sometimes and things like that. Like um, Matt was saying, one of those regionals, I would like scrape into regionals most years, like literally the last one or through invites. So I'd be like twentieth place or twenty first and get an invite through people dropping out through teams. So I was like always like happy to be there it's good times being there and whatnot and then, um, yeah. yeah i do okay sometimes but it's like you'd get there and then like five people would get popped for drugs and stuff and it's like maybe my mindset would be different if i would have been like 15th rather than 20th maybe I'd be like oh i'd be chasing for a game spot whereas i'd always go to those competitions and go there for like the, that as my experience you know like never really striving to go further into it but i know that's a bit of a mindset thing anyway but i just when got to a few competitions where i was just like I couldn't get any further. I couldn't get any better with what I was doing. So I was just like, got a bit disheartened, especially with like a lot of, um, it's like there's whispers and rumors of drugs and this and that and the other. And then like, it's just like, I just, I just couldn't be bothered to compete against an unknowable field all the time at those. Yeah, I should have. <laughs> well, that's, you know, what we all remember Mike Bjergaard, the Danish Mike. Um, yeah. He that was ex- his exact thing is that he was killing himself like training like full time, and he had to get to regionals and he'd get to regionals and he'd finish in around similar position like fifteen to yeah, twenty. Yeah. He did two like two years in a row, and he was like he turned around to me and said, "Look, I can go all in for it again for another year, and maybe get like top fifteen, or." And I'm realistic in the sense that and if I want to get higher than that, I just need to take some steroids or take some drugs. Like it, because he he felt that physically and like he couldn't get into that next level without like having to do something illegal. And that's the point where he said, and I'm not prepared to do that. So I'm going to go into mm. SAS or something now. He went yeah. off. Into well, I was, Korea. And I was thinking like, I wasn't necessarily going down that route, but it's like more it's even down to the training environment I was in. I was training on my own a lot. And then you go to, like we went to this camp sometimes, but it's just, there was so many things, elements of my life that I didn't, I wasn't really willing to sacrifice. Like I wasn't willing to sacrifice more time from work. I wasn't really sacrificing more trips away to go and train with other people, other camps, other money to do that. Like sponsorship and just like, you're only living off like a, a, like a meager, like coach's wage or whatever, trying to do these things. I was like, at some point I'm going to have to get like a job. Because <laughs> I you can only like, like get so much um money back from someone buying some protein supplements or whatever off with your discount code or some some sort of like kickback so it's like there was a few for me there was a few real i just did a little uh, i think it was one of the ones in berlin i remember it was paul warrior was coaching me and we just had a really good chat about it and i just reflected on it. i was just like this is really fun but the things i need to sacrifice to get to another level i'm not willing to do and i'd rather just knock it on the head I and think then since then i think for a lot of people right now like in terms of like what the the in industry is like in terms of 
how long can you keep going at that for before you get to like mid late twenties and then they're like, do you know what? What have I done? I need what have you got to show for it or something. Need a mortgage? I well, I could do with paying some bills now or earning some money. And it's like then it's the decision. It's like, do you go full into being an athlete and try and earn that, or do you just yeah. decide? And I feel like because the sport, and I can still at that position. I can really like identify with that fucking process you know like i pay myself 1600 pound a month and i live in london you know and i'm uh, i've got my own gym and i run the gym and you know it's i get up at 5 a.m pretty much every day go and coach i do majority of the coaching and then i train and i do those things and i love it like i love training i love what i do but it's there's days where it gets hard like and I think to Steve's point, that is like the reality of sport. Like, like being an athlete, like it's, you'd be naive to think it's like glamorous. Yeah. You know, like, like it's not. And like, you look at these professional athletes and other sports and stuff and what you see on social media versus the reality of what it is to be an athlete are very different. And you need, I think in a lot of ways, you need to be willing to make those sacrifices. You know, like I look at the year that you guys went to the games as a team, you know, Ben moved to Wigan, you know, he moved up there and, and he came and he got stuck in and, and he was able to achieve his goals and, and what he wanted to do through doing that, you know? And I think in order to be an athlete, like to what Mitch said, you have to love the process on a daily basis. You have to fucking love training, but you also have to be willing to sacrifice and be like willing to say no to, mm. to just about everything. Yeah, I was definitely in that stage for ages, but then I just got to the point where I was like, I'd rather not now. And then now I've just changed. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that anyone shouldn't do that either. I think it's like it's a process that you just go through, isn't it? Like, no matter where you are, what you're doing with it. But I think it's just being aware of what you're doing and what you're what you're sacrificing to be wherever you are. Like I'm sacrificing not being out there doing that stuff to do what I'm doing now. You're sacrificing a lot of then, stuff to do what you want to do. So it's like, there's nothing wrong with either way. It's just being aware of it. And then you get to, then you get to 35 and you're on the road to the games again. Yeah. <laughs> what is Mitch? How old are you, Mitch? <laughs> so 34, what are you on about? 31. <laughs> 35 soon, Steve. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, I've, got, I've got to get back to doing some work so, um, with a child. I mean, I'm, 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 not, I'm not out of yours now. <laughs> That's okay. Guys, it's, it's, thank you very much for giving up your time. It's much appreciated and it's been good fun having a chat with you guys. Uh, Steve, if you get to the game as a, as a old man, 35 year old, it'd be good to catch up with you again. Let's see how that was. I have any any more wisdom if I become a Masters Games athlete or not? Just for king of England. He's king of England. <laughs> <laughs> no, but king thank you very much. King of the North. Sean, is there anything? Yeah, king of the North. Sean, anything you want to say before you? No, I'm good. It's it's just been nice to sit back and listen to. Oh, um, I think you got the print screen. <laughs> Yeah, Alec, I'll message you um, with that stuff we talked about at the start. That's all right. Yeah, no problem. Sweet. Cheers, fellas. Cheers, Cheers guys. guys. Appreciate Cheers, it. Guys. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day.